0: Big Larry, which is a name Big Larry embraced, before you think I'm being cruel, loved that name, loved his reputation in our small town. But Big Larry would stop at the breakfast shop, which was one of those just glorious, glorious small town restaurants. He would stop there every morning. He drove a. Beautiful blue and white two tone Dodge truck that everyone envied. It was a massive, massive truck with in which he was he could fit to drive. Hence the name Big Larry. Designed the truck just for him. And every morning he stopped at the breakfast shop and he would order the same thing. Five pancakes with maple syrup. Gravy and biscuits, four of them. Three fried eggs with a sun drop to go. That was his breakfast every single morning. A great guy, knew him, grew up around him, a great friend. But most of his life, this is the the same waitress would wait on him every morning. Most of his life, and when he would walk in the doors, she would know what he wanted she would see him and she would turn around and just go get his order and bring it to him. And he would hang out at the breakfast shop and eat this extravagant breakfast every morning. And then all of a sudden there was a new waitress. The, the other lady retired and then there was a new waitress who came in and she didn't know Big Larry. So she began to ask him what his order was every day. He would come in and she would write it down and she would go get the order. And then after you know, four or five days in a row. uh, She just kept asking, asking, asking him his order. And he got to a point where he said, listen, I've ordered the same thing here my whole life, every single day. And everybody who works here knows it. You don't even have to ask me. And by now, you know what my order is going to be when I walk in the door. Are you going to keep asking me what I want for breakfast? And the waitress responded, oh, Larry, I I know what you want by now. I just think you need to hear yourself say it every day. Which he laughed and it was a joke and they grew into a great friendship. Now, I wish I could say that saved Larry's life. I, I don't think it did. Hearing his desire for By the way, that made me really hungry for this glorious, unhealthy breakfast every single morning. I don't know if it did anything for him. And this isn't a sermon on gluttony, but mercy. Could be both, I guess. But three times we have seen Jesus warn the disciples. I am headed to Jerusalem. It's it's recorded three times. He probably said it more than three times. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the leaders there. I'm going to be mocked and ridiculed, blasphemed. I'm going to be convicted on a trumped up trial. I'm going to be handed over, crucified. And I will raise from the dead. And every time it seems as though Jesus tells the disciples what is coming. His disciples, as Mark records it, respond with their desire for greatness. I'm going to be crucified and the disciples say, but we want to be great. Make us great. And it is as if they are not hearing the promise of crucifixion. Now, by now, Jesus knows exactly what they are thinking. Jesus knows how blind they are to what is about to happen And yet he continues to ask them the question, what is it that you want me to do? What is it that you want me to do for you? And they continue to say, we want you to do whatever we ask. We want to be great. We want to be great. And as we hear them say it, we go, oh, that that's not Right. That doesn't, they shouldn't be saying that. That should not be their response to the crucifixion. Do whatever we want. Make us great. But now as Jesus, we get to chapter 11. He will begin walking to the cross. And we're going to wonder why at the end of the day, there's only one disciple left. As he is being crucified and brutally beaten. But at least we've heard them say it. They want to be great. And Jesus has forced their hand that they have to say it. And they've said it over and over again. But their problem is blindness. Now, in this section of Mark, he sandwiches the story of two blind people that Jesus heals. And it is a section where he is preparing his disciples to follow him to the cross. And yet the point of all of this is they are blind to what they are seeing before their eyes. They are blind to what God is calling them to do. What Jesus is, is calling them to take up their cross. And they are blind to this whole thing. And so it's no mistake that Mark places the story of two blind men in and around the section where he is teaching the disciples. And it is no mistake as we see this story of Bartimaeus. That this happens right before they begin to trek to Jerusalem. Because we see the disciples' problem. And at least we get to hear them say it. Verse 46. And they came to Jericho. Jesus and His disciples. They come to this city. And this this is kind of the last stop as they head to Jerusalem. Jesus has been all over Galilee teaching, performing miracles, and he has created this great following. And for three years, he has prepared his disciples for what is to come. And the last stop is through Jericho on the way to Jerusalem. And notice, and as they were leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, this points to Jesus's popularity. This is a week before Passover, a week before Jesus will be crucified. And yet Jesus still has a great crowd follow him. People who have probably planned and taken vacation days. We're going to go to the Passover with Jesus, this great teacher. That's who we're going to go to Jerusalem with this Passover. He's going to be our tour guide. It's going to be great. We're going to see all of the great things in Jerusalem. And yet they don't understand what is about to happen. They are blind to what they are about to see. Now the road from Jericho to Jerusalem, it was 18 miles, worn path, back and forth. People were on it all of the time. We know the story of the Good Samaritan. It was treacherous. It was a place that weaved in and out of rocks and down valleys and across deserts. And so bandits and thieves were along the way. It was a place where rabbis and religious teachers would go to meditate and fast. And so here they leave the city of Jericho, headed to Jerusalem. And what will be Jesus' last miracle before he is crucified? Notice the text. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus. Now, this is kind of redundant. Bartimaeus, it actually means son of Timaeus. It means son of honor. And when we think about all of Jesus' miracles, everything Jesus, the signs and wonders he performed for people, there were only two people who received his miracles that are named specifically. One is Lazarus. And then here is Bartimaeus. But notice he is a blind Beggar. In this culture, blindness was viewed as a curse and it was usually associated with sin. And so those who were blind had to be shunned outside of the city. They had no work. They had no means to provide for themselves. And so all they could do was line the streets outside of the city and beg. And Bartimaeus, a blind beggar. Isn't it interesting? His name means son of honor outside of the city, setting by the roadside as Jesus begins to travel. And there would have been other beggars there. They would have lined the streets. This is just what you did. Covered in their cloaks, barely peeking their head up with their hand out, asking for money, asking for anything. And I know this story sometimes turns into a cute cartoon. Like in my house, when someone's looking for something and it's right in front of them, we call them a blind Bartimaeus. I don't know if y'all do that in your home or that's just something Danae does, but it's kind of a cute cartoonish way to think about this. But this wouldn't have been cute. The same way when you pull off the interstate and you see the guy standing there with the cardboard sign... That says need a little help God bless and several words are misspelled. And you look over and your heart sinks and there's a tinge of sickness in your soul and you begin to wonder why is he there? Selfish, probably drugs, maybe he's one of the the scammers that we hear about as you pull up and you go by him, you pretend that you're checking your cell phone so you don't have to look him in the eyes. It would have been the same situation for Bartimaeus. Thousands of people walking by to Jerusalem who would have ignored him, would not have looked over at him because they would not want to have seen Bartimaeus. His whole situation would have been disgusting to them. And yet, We look away so often because we're scared. We don't want to be that person. We don't want to think about what happened there. The helplessness kind of bothers us. And yet this story is meant to bother us. Because Mark puts it here to communicate a a reality to us. We are the ones who are spiritually bankrupt before God. And if you can't see yourself spiritually in that situation, then Jesus ain't going to stop for you. That's who we are before God. We have chosen to live our own way. We've said, I'm going to be king. And we don't have to imagine what got myself in this situation Of being a poor beggar before God. Who is spiritually bankrupt and guilty of sin. It is me. I put myself on the side of the road with my sin. I don't deserve to walk with Jesus. That's that's who we are. Spiritually. And all we can do is beg and hope God doesn't look away when he walks by. Notice the text continues. And when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth. He began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, this could have been a moment he had waited for 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 three years now as he had heard about Jesus and he see he doesn't see he hears of a crowd. That is that is moving outside of the city, and all of a sudden there are thousands of people. And he hears the commotion, hears the commotion, hears the commotion, and someone is saying, "It is Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth." And all of a sudden there is hope and joy in his soul that he has been waiting for for so long. This is the Jesus of Nazareth. Now this points to the fact that Jesus was from somewhere. He was a specific preacher. But he was also a Nazarene. And that term refers to anointing. But notice how he refers to Jesus. Jesus, son of David. Jesus, this is the Jesus that is anointed by the Spirit of God in the line of David to be God's long-awaited king, the Messiah, who would come and judge God's enemies and yet deliver God's people. This is the king we have been waiting for. And though he, he cannot see it, He hears it and his response is to cry out, notice, have mercy on me. That's all he can come to Jesus for is mercy. That's all he wants from Jesus. Mercy means pity, compassion. It means not getting what we deserve. He deserves for Jesus to walk on by. That's what he deserves. He says, No, no, please have mercy on me. Don't walk by. Just stop. Now let's think about why he would cry out for Jesus. And it's because he had heard about Jesus. Can't see Jesus, he's heard about him for three years. Jesus has toppled demonic forces, Jesus has healed the blind, he has healed the sick. He has controlled nature with His voice. He has raised the dead. He has declared His authority over the Sabbath and the law. He has heard about Jesus. And that's where our faith rests. Is in what we have heard about God. What we have heard about Jesus according to the Word. This is where our faith begins and ends in what we hear from God's word. Hebrews 11 1, Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. What is not seen is not mysterious. It is what God has said will be seen. And so our confidence is in the word of God and what God has said. And notice here that Jesus's fame is connected to his Mercy. And so Bartimaeus has heard this word about this famous, merciful king who is showering mercy. Healing the blind, the lame, the sick. He's been merciful. He is a merciful king. And that's why he cries out for mercy. Even though he cannot see Jesus physically by faith, he believes in what he has heard about God's which is interesting because the disciples have seen much of Jesus. They went up to the mount of transfiguration and they saw his glory unveiled before them. They, they saw in full force who Jesus was. They saw with their eyes. But Peter would later write to us and say, but there's a more sure word than even what we saw. And it's what we hear. It is the Word of God that defines our reality even beyond what we can see at times. And when we can't see, our only hope is to believe what God has said. And that is what Bartimaeus is doing here. He believes in what has been said about Jesus. The good news about Jesus that is being proclaimed. But notice the crowd around him. Verse 48, and many rebuked him. They they correct him. The Word is harsh. For effect, they say, shut up. Kids, you shouldn't say that in your house. Stop talking. Sit down and be silent. Now, at this point, there were other beggars there, but this beggar had become obnoxious to them. But notice what he does. He cries all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. He will not be denied the ear of Jesus. I'm not going to be quiet. All I can't see. I can't move. I can't find him. But I can cry for him. This may be my only chance. And I will not be denied. And ultimately his faith wins over the voices. Who are telling him to sit down and be quiet. We see a picture of what faith should look like here. And what a cry of faith really looks like. Our cry for help should be as desperate as our sinful condition. Bartimaeus could do nothing for himself. Nothing. That's why he's so desperate. He can do nothing. And it's a picture of who we are in our sinful condition. But you will only cry out with such desperation if you really understand your sinful condition. And there's so much in your life, in the world, that is trying to get you to deny your sinful condition. That we really aren't as sinful as we we really know we are on the inside. We know it. You see, if sin is just a mistake, there's no desperation. If we live in some sort of generic brokenness... It's really never defined. We, we don't really know. We look at the world and obviously it's broken. Everything's broken. Nothing works. It's kind of abstract. If sin and, and our condition before God, it, it's not really sin. It's just that we're not living our life to the fullest. That's what you'll hear a lot preached today. They want to say sin, but you could live a more full life if you followed Jesus. If that's your need, there's no desperation there. You can take it or leave it. If if our condition is just defined by what others have done to us, which it is true, many of us here today have been hurt by others. We we are victims of the sin of others, and there is real trauma in our life. But that doesn't define our greatest need. We're not just victims of other sin. We have sinned ourselves. And when we understand that, there's a desperation. You see, the desperation is that my sin is a personal offense to God. He created me. And He gave me life. And He said, I want you to live in my world and bring glory to me and point to me. And live for me and rule for me and love for me. Everything you do is to be about me. And we said, no said, I will do whatever I want and I will be king of this world, especially my world, and I will do whatever I want and I will get whatever I want and I will pursue whatever I want. And that is a infinite offense to your creator. And it is personal with God. You not just generically around the room have sinned against God. You sinned against God. You're not just broken. You broke it. You broke you and your sin. You're not just a hot mess. You messed it up. You messed you up with your sin. I am my own worst enemy. And we know that, right? Right. We know if we're honest, my desires are what are wrecking my life and ultimately have separated me from God. And I deserve to be separated from him forever. And if that is true, that means that we cry out in desperation. If you feel that you feel the desperation there. And your only hope is to cry out, have mercy on me. My only hope is that you would not give me what I deserve. I deserve your judgment and to be shunned in hell forever. God, please have mercy on me. I did it. I did it. And I'm doing it. Have mercy on me. But here's the good news. We don't have just... Whispers or echoes of what this Jesus of Nazareth, son of David, has done in other towns and villages like Bartimaeus. We have the whole story of his mercy from Genesis to Revelation. We know a king that is famous for mercy. And if I need mercy, that is the king I'm going to. As great as my desperation is, his mercy is even more. In every way, God has met my desperate state of sin with mercy. He will have mercy, His Word says, on the one who cries out looking at His cross and says, Jesus died for my sins. Would you credit that death to my account in mercy? He will do it. Why? How do we know He'll do it? Because He says in His Word that He will do it. He will Have mercy on the unrighteous, those who have lived lives for themselves. He will declare us justified when we believe that Jesus lived a perfect life. I couldn't live and I trust Him. It will be declared as if I had never sinned and always obeyed. I will receive that mercy. How do I know? Am I just hoping and wishing it's true? No, I know because in the Word of God, it says it's true. Just like Bartimaeus knew this is a merciful King. And so our cry for... Desperation is as desperate as our condition, but our faith is also as aggressive as His Word is true. Did you get that? You can embrace and be as aggressive with your faith as the Word of God is true and real. That means you... you ain't nobody going to tell you to shut up. Ain't nobody going to say, sit down. You had no business coming to Jesus. No, He said it. He said, if I believe in him, I'll have my sins forgiven. He said, if I believe in him, I will be accounted righteous. You're not going to tell me guilt to sit down. You're not going to tell me doubt to be quiet. No, he said it. So I'm going to believe it and I'm going to embrace it. And I'm going to be as aggressive as I can crying out for it because it's real according to the word of God. That's what faith looks like in Listen, some of us need to ask the question, am I believing the voices of guilt and doubt? Am I believing the sin that that is rehearsed in my head that I've done? Am I I doubting because I can't do what is right? Am I believing those voices or am I believing what God said? You can aggressively believe what God said, just like Bartimaeus. He is famous for mercy. Notice the text continues. And Jesus stopped. As he, I mean, there were beggars everywhere. There were people everywhere. And Bartimaeus is so loud above everyone else. He hears him. It stops Jesus in his tracks. He directs his attention to him. And notice this is so beautiful. Call him. And the disciples said, who? Call who? "The, The blind guy. Behind everybody else who can't move, and he's covered in his cloak. Go get him. And notice they called the blind man and they said, Take heart. Can you imagine? He he can't see. And all of a sudden, one of the disciples grabs his hand. Take heart. Take heart. And the relief that would have overwhelmed his soul. It happened. He listened. He heard my cry. It means to have joy. It means to rejoice. Get up. He heard you. Can you imagine the release of angst? Yes. Notice what he does. He throws off his cloak, which is symbolic. This is what beggars had. It was dirty. It was all they had. And he sprang up and he came to Jesus. Jesus. This was his only possession. He would have been a light, you know, seeing a homeless person and saying, come on and follow me, let's go to church. And they leave their shopping cart with everything they own there, knowing it's not going to be there when they get back. It's the same thing that happened to him. He leaves his, everything he owns there. If Jesus has called me, nothing is worth clinging on to. Not my most valuable possession. And we're to immediately think about the rich young ruler who would not leave his many possessions and follow Jesus. And yet it is the beggar who does. Who realizes he has nothing. But Jesus. And notice he comes to Jesus and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, have we heard that before? It's a question of the disciples. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And we're to immediately think about the rich young ruler who said, what good thing must I do to get to eternal life? He thinks he's going to do the good thing to get to eternal life. And the disciples, when Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? They said, we want you to do whatever we ask. And we're to compare those interactions here. We go from the rich young ruler who says, I'm good to the disciples who say, I'm great to the man who says, I'm blind. They were to compare the needs. He realizes his need. He is in desperation and he just wants to see. It is a plea. Please, Rabbi, let me recover, restore my sight. And here we see a beautiful picture that Jesus stops for the desperate outcast blind beggar. And we got to be warned. Jesus does not stop for the self-sufficient, prideful and those who are entitled to him. He doesn't stop. He walks on by. And the question is, what do you want me to do for you? The question is not, what have or can you do for me? Jesus stops for those who can do nothing and he has to do everything. Jesus doesn't stop for the one who says, you're going to love me. You're going to love me on your team. i got a lot to bring to the table here. You you don't know all the things that I can do or have done. And I, I just deserve more in life. Jesus doesn't stop there. He stops for the person that says, you know what? I'm a bit high maintenance and I require a lot of attention. And all I bring to the table is sin. That's who Jesus stops for. That's, that's who you gotta realize you are. And so how do you get Jesus to stop? Well you gotta realize Jesus, you've got some of those friends and they're just drawn to weirdos, right? You know, you, you look at them sometimes and say, like, How do you surround yourself with such people? What is it about you? Well, that's who Jesus is. But Jesus draws the needy to Him, and the relationship starts with us coming to the table and saying, "I have infinite debt." That's what I bring to this party. And yet Jesus is drawn to that. He's drawn to the desperation. He's drawn to the neediness. When we meet people who are needy, we're kind. We, there's an aversion. Ain't got time for that. this is where Jesus is drawn when we admit it. I'm needy. I'm obnoxious. I'm sinful. Who wants to bring a beggar into their life? Home. Into their family. The answer is Jesus does. And you can't lose that. You you can't shirk that away in your prayer life. You have to be reminded of how needy you are. Sometimes in our prayer, we want to hide. And act self-sufficient. No, Jesus says, no, you bring me all of the needs. You are needy. I know that. Come, tell me your needs. Express them. Scream. Cry out. Tell me how needy you are. Jesus is drawn to that. His presence comes to that. In conviction of sin. Sometimes we want to push that away. Well, that can't be true about me. Jesus isn't drawn to that. He's drawn when you say, yes, that's true about me. I have sinned in that way and I need your grace and I need your mercy. That is all true. Jesus is drawn to that. He loves it. He's famous for it. But the situation here is so desperate. Jesus has to send people to get Bartimaeus and the same situation is with you. Your situation is so desperate. You're not coming to Jesus. Folks got to come get you and bring you to Jesus. Folks got to tell you, guess what? He's calling you. Come on. You're desperate. You're needy. You're a beggar. You're blind. Come on. Jesus is calling you. He wants you to come to him. And imagine if Bartimaeus had just tried to get up and move around and find Jesus himself. How chaotic that would have been. Pushing people around. Knocking people down. And it's very possible he would have ended up really far away from Jesus. He couldn't come to Jesus on his own. And yet, that's exactly the way some of you look trying to find your way to Jesus right now. You're trying to come to Jesus on your own. You're you're like the little kid in the store who's distracted. He's playing with a toy. He's looking at something and he turns around and mom and dad aren't there. And there's panic in his soul. And what did he do? He begins to look around, look around, look around. And he goes down one aisle, goes down the other aisle, goes down another aisle. And before he knows it, he's lost. And some of your acts of righteousness are what is causing you to feel so lost. Because you're trying to find Jesus they're just being good, coming to church more, praying more, doing all of these good things, and you end up in a place so much further away from Jesus than if you just sat down and cried, Jesus would find you. He would find you. You end up in a place of self righteousness where, look what I am doing. You end up in a place where it's just not enough, and you are desperate. When if you would just cry out, I am lost. And Jesus would say, I know, I just needed you to hear you say it. And he would come find you. Notice the text continues. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. You are, your eyesight is restored. And immediately he recovered his sight. Can you imagine that moment? The first person he sees is Jesus. This is a picture of what heaven's going to be like. <laughs> the first person you see is Jesus. How amazing. What glory. But notice it is his faith in the word. I knew you would do it. I knew you would be merciful to me. And now he can see. But notice the progression here. The beggar is on the way. But then Jesus says, Go your way. And notice what way he goes. He follows him on the way. That's why Jesus held him. It's not so he would run along and go wherever. It's so he would take up his cross and follow him to Jerusalem, to the cross. The beggar on the way goes his way, which is Jesus' way. And that's the nature of our prayer of faith. Jesus, just make my way your way. Jesus says the road to glory is marked by suffering. It means taking up your cross and following Him. And if we're going to be a witness for Him, it's going to involve opposition, awkwardness. There's going to be situations that are, that are hard. As we go out and we share the gospel and we live for Him, we're going to be hated. We're going to be shunned in certain situations. If we pray, Jesus, make my way your way, that's what we're asking for. To follow Him to the cross. And so what is, how do we do that? Well, if I can just see you, I will follow. Just let me see Jesus and I will follow. If I can see you, I will go wherever. That should be your prayer every morning when you wake up. I don't know what this day has in store for me. I don't know the opportunities I'm going to have to share the gospel. I don't know the difficulty that's going to come in relationships. I don't know what I'm going to have to do today. But Jesus, just let me see you. Let me see you. If I can see you, I'll go wherever. If I can see you, I'll do whatever. Because when we see Jesus, Jesus, our desires become His desires, and we begin to look at the world around us and we say it's full of cloaks that need to be shed. There's nothing of value that we cannot leave behind to follow him. And if I can see him, I will suffer and I will sacrifice and I will serve others. If I can see him. It's when I'm blinded. That I want to just be left alone on the side of the road. Clinging to my possessions. But this is only possible because Jesus way became our way our cross became his cross. You see, Jesus was headed to Golgotha, headed to a place where he will become what Bartimaeus was on the side of the road. There is a there will be a trade off. Bartimaeus gets everything Jesus has to offer and Jesus endures everything Bartimaeus has deserved deserves. He will become the outcast on the side of the road on a rugged cross, enduring the wrath for our sin so that we can become sons of God. He will become blind to God. He will become blind to the fellowship that he has had from the very beginning with the Father, with the Holy Spirit. And he will cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I can't see you in any of this. So you will never have to be forsaken. He will become the beggar. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do based on my cross and my righteousness and my resurrection. Please forgive them. He will become the beggar for us. So we are granted His forgiveness accomplished on the cross. See, the issue for the disciples is that they are blind to greatness. And the answer... What do you want me to do is make me great. And, you know, God asks us that every morning. What do you want me to do for you today? Now, some of us just ignore him and keep walking on by. He, he's the beggar. Well, what, what do you want me to do for you today? And how do you answer that question in your prayers? Make me great. Give me more of the things that I want today, God. Or do you say, give me mercy. Give me mercy. Just let me see Jesus today. How do you answer that prayer every morning? Because the reality is Jesus knows what you want. And he knows how unhealthy it is and he knows that it will kill you. He just needs to hear you say it. You need to hear yourself say it. That's what confession is. And we come to Jesus and say, you know what I want. You know how harmful it is for me, but you also know what I need. I need mercy to save me. Maybe you just need to hear yourself say it. Every morning, every day. I want more. But I need mercy. Mercy.